Hello everyone and welcome to All About Fertility podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm Ella, your host. Now, some of you may or may not know that I'm currently on my own fertility journey and about to start IVF soon. I've had my daughter via IVF. She's nearly three now. And so we're going for number two. Um, Now, after having a couple of uh, failed rounds in March at the beginning of the year, I've decided to change my team around and I've added acupuncture. Now, acupuncture wasn't really on my radar, um, especially back in 2017. Now, since working in the fertility space and having information at my fingertips, my eyes have opened up to the world of alternative therapies. Now, alternative therapies, they assist me in my own journey to conceiving. But what is acupuncture and how does it help me in my journey to get pregnant? So today's episode, I welcome Amy Forth and she is an acupuncturist and she works solely within the fertility space and works really closely with the IVF clinicians. Now, Amy's going to unpack the mysteries of acupuncture and tell us about you know, what it is all about, basically. Um, So welcome, Amy. Thank you so much for joining me today. Um, What I would love if you could introduce yourself to our listeners and just tell us a bit about yourself and um, a bit about your work. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be um, on this podcast. Um, Yeah. So, well, well, mm-hmm. <laughs> my, my name is Amy and yeah, I've been an acupuncturist and working with fertility patients for about sort of 12, a bit over 12 years um, and I've always had a real interest in fertility, women's health. Mm. However, like I have always like been really curious about why we don't integrate complementary medicines a bit better into mainstream care. So uh, throughout my practice, I've been really kind of keen to sort of team up with doctors and meet them and um and so often we're writing letters to our doctors uh the doctors which are treating the patient about what we're doing trying to be you know very open book about it um and the idea is that that the patient also kind of gets a better experience rather than having to kind of bounce between these different kind of siloed um a siloed kind of care um that they kind of feel like they've got a bit of a team behind them um and you know which is kind of helping to address different things because i feel especially with acupuncture i feel like the things that acupuncture and chinese medicine can address um really complement um kind Mm. of i guess the limitations of things like ivf um and vice versa you know i think the things that ivf can and other fertility treatments can address really address the limitations of Chinese medicine so I think together um it's a wonderful marriage <laughs> um but there yeah there needs to be a bit of communication there I think so yeah I've been doing um fertility work for about 12 years uh like 12 years is a long time and working in the fertility space is such a niche area so what sparked your interest in fertility well I think for me like I got into Chinese medicine because I had had when I was younger, when I was about 17, 18, I was quite mm. stressed out and I had, um, I ended up having like secondary amenorrhea. So I lost my, I stopped getting my periods. And for me, I was just kind of like, oh, what is going on? Um, and I think this is like a pretty common story in terms of why people end up going to seeking different kind of complementary medicines, things like acupuncture. Um not at all an original story but you know I I went to my GP and then I went and saw a specialist and they did scans and they just sort of didn't find anything wrong and they said well if you want to you can go on the pill um or uh you know unless you want to have children then it doesn't really matter and I just kind of was like really doesn't it (laughs) um I'm like but it's a bit weird you know like I kind of wanted to figure it out so uh, I was a bit of a hippie. I loved alternative things, you know, at that t- at that age. Um, so yeah. I was very kind of curious about things like naturopathy and acupuncture and, you know, even things like, you know, Reiki and, you know, all of this sort of stuff. So um, <laughs> I just decided to take myself off to a, see an acupuncturist. I saw this old, this old guy, <laughs> Dr. Wang, and, um, you know, I just remember kind of being like, yeah. whoa, a- about 
the acupuncture kind of would walk out feeling like just a little bit, a little bit out of it, but so relaxed. Um, wow. And I think I was so stressed out at that point in my life. Um, and then in, within a couple of weeks, I got my periods back and I was like impressed. And I just thought, wow, if this can help me. And, you know, I kind of felt like I hadn't really been given answers that were satisfactory for me, um, you know, in terms of women's health. So then when I went through uni um, studying Chinese medicine, I was always doing, you know, every project I'd do it on like a women's health condition, like endometriosis or PCOS or, um, you know, and I was very curious about like different reasons for infertility because yeah. in Chinese medicine there's just, um, you know, there's books that are like 3,000 years old talking about how to treat different infertility problems and it's not like, you know, they're like, oh, you know, you use a little bit of raw bark and it's not like that at all. It's like, you know, even like 400 BC, which not quite that long ago, you know, there was just volumes and volumes of textbooks on obstetrics and gynecology, things like irregular cycles, how to treat things like, um, you know, labour difficulties, obstetrics complications, um, you know, painful periods. They're, and, you know, they had a, you know, for each of the, the, uh, these, they'd have like almost like a whole book where they'd have, you know, chapters on all the different syndromes and how to treat it with herbal, like beginning with herbal medicine and then later, you know, acupuncture has been around for about 2,000 years um, and then also, you know, acupuncture started being. So when I started, like, looking at this, I was just like, oh, my God, there's just, like, there's this incredible whole other world out there of how to look at fertility and how to look at women's health. And I felt like in the sort of patriarchal world that we have lived in, um, maybe women's health issues haven't had as much attention as they deserve. Um, and particularly things like, you know, painful periods and then, um, you know, endometriosis, things like this. And I think we're starting to, you know, really recognise this and there's been more research and yeah. development um, around these areas. But um, when I was going through uni, which was, you know, mm. 15 years or so ago, um, I just felt like there wasn't a lot offered for women who had these conditions. You know, the, 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 there was a real limit there in terms of what you what how you know this could be addressed and I thought wow this might be real mm. like it's possible that maybe acupuncture and Chinese herbs um they've got all this information about it let's see if it works and um I remember going through uni and learning all the theory about it and being like wow this sounds amazing and then uh but then going into the clinic oh, wow. going I'm not really sure if this is actually going to work and being quite surprised when I found it was actually pretty most of the time pretty yeah. effective um and a bit kind of blown away like wow we can really help people and oh my like it just kind of felt like there was this unspoken uh whole world of um health and healing and um you know all these things that can be offered for you know for women having a whole multitude of problems um yeah so I guess that's how I kind of got into it um and then when I graduated I sort of opened the clinic and I actually labelled myself as specialising in women's health um, and some of the local obstetricians um, started to get to know me and refer patients and fertility patients to me as well because they'd be seeing the gyne obs um, specialists would start referring, um, I was working in a, a country town, so they'd start referring um, people who are doing IVF and people mm. who are having mm. fertility issues because of their women's health, like they're having, they either had you know, irregular ovulation like things like PCOS or endometriosis these sort of things so I started very quickly treating a lot of women who were having fertility issues um, <laughs> and from then I moved to uh, I decided to move back to Melbourne was bored to tears in the country town I was living in for a couple of years um, wasn't for me yeah. and then um, so I moved to Melbourne oh, wow. and I worked at a dedicated fertility clinic there quite a big one um, for about four years or so and then eventually moved to Sydney. Yeah. So, yeah, my whole kind of career I've worked in that space and I've been really lucky that I've worked in some really big, wonderful um, kind of dedicated kind of fertility centres um, that have been multidisciplinary and I've, you know, been able to kind of really immerse myself in that world. Um, yeah. So I guess, yeah, I guess that's me. And then uh, when I moved up to Sydney, I was doing a master's in global health because I was very interested in um, how we can better integrate complementary medicine within mainstream medicine. And so I was looking into, you know, like what are the cultural factors, a bit of a medical anthropological perspective on 
trying to solve problems around integrative care. Um, so I did a thesis about that, um, about how, especially about how GPs get information and talk to their patients about complementary medicine use. So that was another big area of my interest. Um, and I was working at the acupuncture pregnancy clinic um, with Jane Littleton, who works very closely with the uh, with all, um, IVF specialists. Um, and I then went on to kind of manage her clinics and then later uh, became the director of one of the clinics, um, which I am at now at Alexandria. And we're in um, Alexandria Specialist Day Hospital, which is pretty cool because we're there with um, IVF Australia. So we work kind of um, in the same location as well, which is wonderful. So, yeah, I guess that's how it's all happened. <laughs> it's great to hear that specialists are embracing alternative therapies because you hear at times where there's a battle when the yeah. patient tells their specialist that they are undergoing acupuncture. And I don't yeah. know whether it's perhaps the yeah. science in them versus, you know, the pseudoscience. Perhaps it's still such a mystery yeah. to some. Yeah, yeah. Look, I think a lot of it comes down to kind of um, education, you know, both sides. And mm. I feel like with the Chinese medicine education we, we get in Australia, we're really lucky we do a health science degree. So we understand very well, um, like, the um, scientific paradigm and, we, you know, we understand how to, you know, look at, like, what a good evidence base is for practice. Um, and definitely with our clinic, we, you know, adapt an evidence-based approach. And so we use the research to guide um, how, we, how we practice because, we, you know, it's giving us information about what works. Um, so we definitely use that. And I think that's why the clinic that I work at now, the Acupuncture Pregnancy Clinic, has been so successful in terms of having a partnership with IVF clinics because we take that approach. Um, and that's respected, I think, from the, you know, the IVF clinics. And, um, yeah, but I think it's also about, you know, I've done a lot of, lot of talks and I, I spoke at the Fertility Conference uh, last year, um, it, the Australian Fertility Conference, and I think it's, you know, it's about kind of explaining what we do and what the evidence base is and demystifying it a little bit. It's not kind of yeah. all kind of woo-woo. <laughs> Some of it's quite <laughs> kind of practical um, and it sort of just makes sense once you explain it um, and it also explain the research and the evidence base around it as well. So, um, yeah, I think that there needs to be a bit of a meeting ground in terms of um, my complementary medicine m may have more of a limited, you know, evidence base than some mainstream medicines. Um, it doesn't mean it doesn't have any um, and it also, you know, doesn't mean that we kind of can't come together and kind of share information. And as I said, like, you know, Chinese medicine has this incredibly rich um, literacy tradition where you know for years they wrote books and books and books about how to treat different things so you know maybe there hasn't been a randomized control trial um on mm. on you know different uh, treatments of chinese medicine there has been many randomized control trials on a lot of acupuncture um treatments uh, but maybe not everything's been covered um, and maybe yeah. not in the numbers that that that, that need to be I'm not saying that there isn't problems with limitations in terms of the scientific evidence, but there's definitely a lot more out there, and I think that I think that then people realise, and especially that doctors realise. Um, and but there's this massive, you know, an enormous wealth of um, information that we have access to. We're really lucky to have access to as Chinese medicine practitioners. Up until three months ago, I hadn't really had much experience with acupuncture. And I'm sure there's a few listeners who are perhaps asking the question right now, mm. what is acupuncture and how does it actually work? So can you demystify oh. it for us? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I know it's like the million dollar question. Like I love it when patients are in the clinic and they say to me, and so yeah, yeah. And so how does this work? <laughs> I'm like, oh, and it's, I mean, it's a very valid question, but I guess the thing is um, because, you know, Chinese medicine takes about a four-year four degree, so it takes a while to kind of understand it in all its, um, in all its I guess, glory. Um, but I guess there's two ways of answering that question. Mm -hmm. One way is you can explain some of, like, the more sort of uh, scientific explanations um, that have been researched about the different mechanisms that happen when with acupuncture mm. um, and then the other ways to explain it more in sort of like a traditional sense in terms of how they explained it from a Chinese medicine perspective about how it worked so maybe I can touch on both of those if you'd like yes please 
Okay. Well, um, I guess to start with, from more of a scientific point of view, really basically, like I can go a bit more into depth, but really basically you put a needle in and you stimulate a response from the body to kind of do something in that area, <laughs> very, very basically. And so sometimes, mm -hmm. like for fertility, for example, we will be doing points over the uh, ovaries and the uterus. And the idea is that we're trying to stimulate blood flow to that area and increase the microcirculation to that area. And right. then the other thing that we're doing is there's sometimes stimulating different kind of uh, very kind of like nerve-rich um, areas of the skin that then kind of in turn stimulate a response to different tissues, organs, etc. So it's multifaceted. But when you put a needle in, it's very difficult to go, what does it do? Because it doesn't do one thing. It creates this whole kind of catalyst of um, different chemical reactions in your body. Um, so it's very difficult to just kind of go, oh, well, it just does this one thing or this other thing. So like one thing it does, it stimulates the um, endogenous um, production of opioids. Um, that's been researched, so that helps mitigate like a stress response. That's why you feel so great after you have a lunch, you feel really relaxed. Um, another thing it does is stimulates, yeah, blood flow to the area, um, in, in, increases like vasodilation into the area to stimulate blood circulation. Um, and we also know it has quite an effect on different uh, different neurotransmitters. Um, so yeah, there's quite like there's, there's so many different things that it does um also has an effect on the dopamine receptors um mm. so yeah um it has an effect on inflammation um so yeah it's it's hard to identify it depends on which point you're talking about as well um they all seem to have slightly different um mechanisms and like the way which they um create a response in the body uh yeah so that i think that's basically probably what I'd sort of say is like a, a really basic sort of summary on how it works from more of a scientific point of view. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and I guess from the fertility point of view, it can kind of induce neurotransmitters to release, um, which activates the GNRH and that it can help in turn to kind of increase ovulation and menstrual regularity and like overall fertility. It also can have a... a uh, effect mm. on the endogenous production of different hormones particularly like in IVF we're often working with the um, points that help kind of stimulate estrogen production um, and yeah and and I also you know mentioned how you know those mm -hmm. endogenous opioids and endorphins um, can be also increased that um, might reduce stress yeah so that would be the Western medicine. <laughs> Do you want me to talk yeah. about the Chinese medicine? Um, God, yeah. why not? <laughs> so um, from a Chinese medicine point of view, uh, basically your body's, you've probably heard qi, so there's qi. There's um, energy, mm -hmm. which is just circulating in your body. It's the difference between someone being alive and someone being dead or an alive thing to an innate object. It's got qi in it. It's got energy. Um, and there's also mm -hmm. blood. And... Very basically, there's um, 12 main meridians there's, and there's also some extra meridians and they all correspond with an organ and the organ function. So when we have a look at your tongue and we feel your pulse, we're trying to feel where the imbalances are and sometimes these might be to do with imbalances in the organ systems themselves or they might be imbalances in terms of things like the fluids, like there's not enough blood, there's not enough moisture, it's too dry or there's too uh, much moisture and then we call things like things like damp um and so basically where there's like an excess so just say there's too much energy or stagnant energy and we're trying to remove those blockages so the energy can then circulate um and if we're trying to uh do the opposite so just say there's an organ which is not functioning very well it's we can feel it from the pulses, it's quite weak. Um, then generally we're trying to stimulate like the nerves which correspond to that organ to try and get it, give it a bit of a pep, pep up and get it kind of working mm. um, and boost up, so boosting up the chi and the energy or the blood flow to that organ. Um, I mean, that's from an organ perspective. Um, <laughs> so it's so complicated, so it's very hard. Like I feel like that's mm. a very simplistic way of um, framing yeah, it yeah, I know I'm good. always aware of 
Chinese medicine practitioners listening and going, but she didn't mention this and that. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I think that's like. But I think for, for a patient, for, I think someone who hasn't done a four-year degree, I think that's enough. Exactly. Anyway, um, but, you know, so basically there's two things we're looking at. We're trying to see is it weak? Um, is, it, what, is it like functioning optimally? And what can we do to kind of like, and if not, then how can we kind of like really kind of like boost up that function? Or is it, so is it blocked you, you, and do we need to kind of help things move? And sometimes there's blockages like blood stagnation. For example, when you have painful periods, that's often like blood stagnation, so we're trying to move the blood. Yeah. Um, there's, you know, can be stagnation or, yeah, blockages or too much energy in things. Yeah. Sorry. I'm, what were you... I just wanted to go back regarding the organs. So by boosting the organs so it's functioning well, can acupuncture help with egg quality? Well, I'd say it's a, it's a tricky question. Um, I think so to a point. So, I mean, egg quality is, depends on a few different factors. Um, one is like what, like it's a bit more constitutional and it's got to do with, you know, what your egg reserve is and how old you are and all these sort of things. So that's egg quality. Um, mm. And so most doctors would say, well, there's nothing you can do about egg quality because the primordial follicles, they're already there and what they are is what they are. However, we know when the eggs, like over sort of a three-month period, they go from being those primordial follicles into then being um, Mm -hmm. follicles that can be like stimulated to be like a dominant follicle that you'll then go to ovulate or then go to an egg pickup and, you know, retrieve. Mm -hmm. Um, And over that period of Mm -hmm. time, um, we know that, the environment that they're in is really important to how they develop. So, and that's what we can help with. <laughs> so, um, you know, how, what their nutrient mm. environment is, I think nutrition is really important. Um, you know, what, how the quality of the mm. blood that they're in, you know, how, yeah, how they're nourished over that period of time. So I think almost like look at it as if, you know, if it was a seed, and this reminds me of my old, the clinic I used to work at in Melbourne was called Fertile Ground. Um, but there was that whole idea of, you know, you, you put a seed in and then if, you know, if the the soil is dry and the soil is bare and it doesn't have much nutrients, then really like that seed, it's not, it, its chances aren't that great, you know, in terms of it flourishing and we want it to flourish. Mm. Um, great analogy. But, you know, if you put some manure in there and, you know, you make sure it's got some yeah, good fertiliser and you're watering it and you're making sure, like, you know, the the, the environment is as, as good as it can be. We don't know if it's a, you know, it might be a bad seed to begin with <laughs> or it might be like a, just an okay seed, but then that's a mm. great environment and so it really flourishes. And, you know, it might be a good seed and it's going to flourish, flourish. So, I mean, to a point, I think we can, we can help. Um, and, you know, I think that's the same analogy can be used in terms of, you know, women's, a woman's body or their womb, you know, in terms of implantation occurring. And um, we want to make sure, you know, that that environment mm. is as good as it can be. And the, particularly like the endometrial tissue, um, we want to make sure the endometrial tissue and that subendometrium, um, we really work on the subendometrium, which is the next layer, which helps feed the endometrial tissue. So um, when an embryo is transferred, it can implant um, and it's got a really healthy um, healthy endometrial um, to lining to implant into um, and start creating those connections. You briefly touched on the amount of time by giving yourself three months. Would you say that's the best duration of time to give yourself before mm. starting IVF? Yeah. Yeah, I think three months would be great. Um, because of that kind of time frame and it's similar for men um, and male fertility um, that we really kind of think oh actually three months is probably the minimum in to really get like a great result mm-hmm. that saying said we hardly ever see people for three months because most of the time by the time they're doing IVF they're really in a bit of a hurry um, and they not not always but a lot of the time people just want to get it they want to they just mm-hmm. want to get their cycle done so usually what we do in that situation and say if you can come in the month before um, you do IVF then um, that would be fantastic 
Um, and we're trying to quite high dose acupuncture. And this is in alignment with um, Hollander, who in 2015, she analysed the outcomes of more than, I think, over a 1,000 IVF cycles mm -hmm. and found that women who did Chinese medicine on average of about 12 treatments before and during their cycle, um, and this included acupuncture with or without herbs and with dietary advice and nutrition and things. Um, so they had a higher life birth rate than women who were just doing IVF alone. Mm -hmm. So the, the proportion of the live births was 61.3% in the Chinese medicine group, and that was versus 48.2%. So this is an American study um, at an American IVF clinic where they do have higher rates mm -hmm. of pregnancy because they do a few different, few different things. Um, so the usual yeah. care group, IVF group, had, yeah, just 48% live birth. And then the women who... Um, in this study who just did the embryo transfer acupuncture that did improve the outcome slightly but just, mm. just by about two percent so they were about 50.8 percent so often women are asking about coming in just for the acupuncture just around embryo transfer um and there's mixed research around it like initially in 2002 when that research came out it really showed that um it seemed to really increase um, a clinical pregnancy rate, like the Paulus protocol in 2002. Um, and I think that was about 40, back then it was, there was 42% clinical pregnancy rate versus mm -hmm. about 25% with the usual care. Um, and then uh, this research kept getting replicated over from about 2002 to about 2012. And they were getting mixed results just doing the before you have an embryo transfer, after you have embryo transfer acupuncture. And then they did a few meta-analyses and that in about, from about 2012, it was uh, Mannheimer and a few others started doing these meta-analyses of all the research and they found the women who actually did acupuncture during the stimulation phase as well were getting better, higher results than the women who were just doing the pre and the post. Um, and then we kind of were like, okay, this is something going on around dose. So we know that, you know, just maybe one or two acupuncture sessions might not influence um you know the outcome that much um but maybe it will and so Harlan did then did this research which was included in a 2019 meta-analysis mm -hmm. done by carolyn smith and her colleagues out at western sydney uni and this meta-analysis found that actually around three treatments seemed to be mm -hmm. what made a difference like three or more um seemed to significantly increase the clinical pregnancy rates and However, there were some subgroups who, even if they had only done the pre and the post, they seemed to have a higher rate of clinical pregnancy than women who didn't do it. And these were women who were anxious and stressed or women who just had had multiple failed IVF attempts, like they'd been going through IVF for a long time. It seemed that they seemed to get significant benefit out of that pre and post. So it's not that just the pre and post is not um, good for anyone and we all almost always incorporate it with our treatments with patients because mm. we know it can sort of be the icing on the cake <laughs> but doing the groundwork I think is really really mm. really important as well and so um to answer your question <laughs> a long a long long kind of uh tangent there but to answer your question I'd say if women can just kind of keep in their mind that if you can do around that sort of research shows that around that sort of 12 that high dose acupuncture uh, and that's often us seeing the patient for six weeks. So we'll see them for the month before they start IVF and then the two weeks during the stimulation <laughs> phase and we'll see them twice a week. If they can do that, then it seems that that seems to be like the gold standard in terms of outcomes. Um, but anything more than three treatments seems to, you know, give you a positive, like a more significant impact. Um, Sorry, have a, a, the acupuncture can have a significant impact in terms of the clinical pregnancy rate. So, yeah, that's what I, I, I guess. And there's been quite a lot of research around um, mm. kind of dose, um, like how many acupuncture sessions you have um, and outcomes. So, I mean, there was one um, sign of Victoria, and that was back in 1996, and uh, they did um, eight treatments to, mm. and they found that that improved ovarian blood flow. and that had been maintained even four weeks after when they did it, when, when they looked at uh, mm. the women's outcomes four weeks after. So, um, 
And another one did uh, for PCOS patients um, found that it increased ovulation um, mm -hmm. when when people had twice a week acupuncture for sort of 10 to 14 weeks. And it was Johansson in 2013. So there's quite a few different studies which have really suggested mm. that dose is a really important factor. Uh, so how much acupuncture has, how much acupuncture you have, like how many treatments you have is going to impact how much you're going to be helped, <laughs> helped by it. So, um, yeah, I mean, because I sometimes have, people who come in and said, oh, I tried it, I did one acupuncture session and it didn't work. And I kind of think, well, <laughs> would you, you know, have antibiotics and take one and go, but, yeah. you know, like there's, there is, there's like a therapeutic dose that needs to, um, you know, really be reached in order yeah. to get some sort of therapeutic outcome. And what about the Chinese herbs? It seems as if they're a match made, acupuncture and Chinese herbs, but how do they work together? Yeah, so the Chinese herbs they're very good for helping um, support the function of the acupuncture. So, I'm to be honest, I'm a bit more of an acupuncturist than I am a bit more uh, than I am a herbalist. Um, I still use herbs, right. and I see that okay. they're really important. They're really great mm -hmm. at building up um, hormone. I, I, I can feel the person's pulse um, that their that their blood has like improved. Like so, their pulses feel stronger. They have you know often report things like a bit more energy so it kind of helps like I'd almost call it the fertilizer <laughs> you know um if we're going back to that plant analogy <laughs> I think herbs yeah. can be one source of fertilizer that really helps kind of um tonify and enrich um yeah and really support all the different functions of the body and the reproductive system so um I help I think it can really be helpful consolidating what the acupuncture is trying to do um yeah and I think when people use them in conjunction it can be a, a more powerful than just one or the other we all know every patient is different and one size does not fit all but there are certain results that many women can identify with and relate to and that is failed rounds or failed IVF cycles mm. so can we discuss a case study where you've seen a patient that has had multiple failed rounds? Yeah. What is it that you're actually discussing with them and how can you help them so that the next round may be successful? Mm. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, okay, so if someone comes in and they said, look, I've had 10 embryos transferred, for example, which is a lot, um, and I haven't had much luck. I'd be sort of going, okay, I'd actually want to see their blood test results as well in terms of things like just checking that the basics have been checked. And, you know, of course, usually yeah. they have been because they're being overseen by a doctor. Um, but just double-checking that, you know, things like their thyroid is not under-functioning, um, that their progesterone mm. levels are sufficient or they're taking progesterone. Um, and then I'd probably be asking them a little bit about things like their cycle I find sometimes this is something which they have not discussed a lot. Um, so things like how long is your cycle, for example, and if they said, oh, it's a bit short, say 22 days or something like that, like, okay, well, when do you ovulate? Um, and then I'd be trying to work out how long, how many days there are between when they ovulate and when they get their period usually. And if that's quite short, say if that's like under 10 days, then I'd be like thinking, hmm, I wonder if there's enough progesterone or you know maybe the progesterone is just rising and then it's falling really quickly um, to support implantation so these are some of the things we'd be looking at and I'd be thinking okay then if we need to support progesterone what herbs are we going to use what um, acupuncture can we do and usually to support progesterone production we want to see them a lot in the follicular phase um, and help with mm. to get a really good ovulation going help with the rise of estrogen and then that will then flip over and help support progesterone in the luteal phase so that would be um one thing you know I, I, i'm thinking that's one scenario i'd be looking at another scenario would be asking them a lot about their periods <laughs> and sometimes i think patients mm, something that we tend not no, to discuss no no and i'm not sure um if fertility doctors go into it very much but 
when you see a Chinese medicine practitioner, you know, you're like, why are you asking me all that? Period. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's none of your business, really. Um, yeah, and, yeah, and so when I'm asking patients, I try and explain to them a little bit why I'm asking them. <laughs> so they're not, because I mm. remember, I remember going into a consult years ago with, I think, with a naturopath, and they're asking me all about um, my bowel motions. And I was like, oh, really, none of your business. <laughs> and so I'm really aware that, like, unless you know why, they're asking you know or why it's relevant then it's kind of like well why do you want to know um anyway so we ask a lot about the period and that's because we're really trying to find out about i was talking earlier about the endometrial tissue um so the lining of the uterus and that's what the embryo will implant into and ideally we want that to be nice and thick and spongy um so i'll often Mm -hmm. be saying asking them if they've had if they've been doing scans um prior to the embryo transfer if they found out how thick that is um, and the other thing I'll be asking right. them about is their period. So is it clotty? Is it painful? Um, and if it is, then that sort of indicates to me that that endometrial lining might be forming a little bit unevenly um, and so may not mm. be the most ideal place for an embryo to implant just because it's um, uneven and you want it to be nice and even, nice and spongy and easy to kind of mm. start creating that, that, that connection. Um, and so if just say if they say, oh, I have a really clotty period, you know, I get big, clots that are like 50 cent size pieces um it's really painful it's always been like that um it's really heavy then I'd be like oh okay um I mean I'm if they've been to see specialists then I'm kind of going to assume that I'm going to ask that they've had a a, ultrasound and they've ruled out things like polyps and uh, fibroids and other things Mm -hmm. that might be a cause of that sort of period um, and endometriosis, all of that sort of stuff. But if it's just that they've got really painful clotty periods, then we're going to be like, okay, well, we really need to help with that. Um, and usually we'll try and see them during when they're actually having their period and give them some herbs to try and clear that endometrial lining and also do some acupuncture mm. to try and get rid of um, all of the lining because often there's a little bit of retained, like, lining from the last period. Like, it's just not... Um, forming nicely, like clearing nicely and then reforming nicely, which can have an effect on the, all of the hormones throughout the cycle. Um, okay, so, yeah, that's something else we'd do. So we'd be working on in, um, encouraging lots of blood flow to the sub-endometrium mm. um, to encourage really good um, development of the endometrial tissue in that follicular phase. So from when they get their period, we're trying to clear all the old blood out and then we'll be trying to encourage better blood flow there up until like kind of ovulation time. And then hopefully when they go into mm. their next um, embryo transfer, the quality of endometrium is um, has improved and hopefully that gives rise to them having a better chance of that little embryo deciding to you know nuzzle in there and make a home i love that vision of the embryo nuzzling in there <laughs> and making a home yeah yeah make a little home yep <laughs> so following on from the transfer we have the two-week wait which in some cases can be quite stressful mm. and trying to occupy your mind with other stuff and not reading into yeah. every single yeah. twinge and symptom can be quite exhausting. Yeah. So do you see patients during the two-week yeah, wait we or do you just see them before and after transfer? Yeah, and there's two reasons why we want to see them. Um, but the first one's stress. <laughs> so, I mean, people who do IVF, treatment I think they don't always recognize how innately stressful it is um, and often give themselves a bit of a hard time because they're feeling stressed you know and, yeah. uh, but there's been research and it suggests that acupuncture is actually as stressful sorry acupuncture IVF <laughs> is as stressful <laughs> as um, it, it can be as stressful psychologically um, as people who are going through cancer treatment which is kind of right. Yeah, that's really that really I think it really puts in perspective how stressful it is for people um Mm. so I think it's really important that people have a lot of support um every which way and I mentioned earlier about how acupuncture has this great effect on the opioids and and endogenous um opioids and dopamine and um and things like that so it can be great at endorphins and serotonin (laughs) so uh, it can have this great effect in terms of 
physiologically mitigating that stress response, which often that people are feeling, and particularly that two-week wait. I don't know anyone who's not anxious in that two-week wait or doesn't think it's Oh, my gosh. Anxiety, <laughs> you know, um, and it's just diff- differing levels. Um, mm. So often we'll give patients also meditations and suggest that they try those at home as well. Like they'll listen to this while they're um, having their acupuncture treatment. Um and I mean, another thing is that it can reduce cortisol and adrenaline levels, um, the acupuncture. So if you're in that real kind of like, ah, sort of state, which we can get into if we're super anxious. Um, so that's probably the first reason. So we do a lot of points that really work on the nervous system and help really support um, and calm people. Yeah. Um, yeah. So support their nervous system. And actually one of the research, big randomised control studies on acupuncture, why that did very limit the small dose and it didn't find physiologically that acupuncture had an impact on live birth outcomes. However, they only did like three sessions. Um, <laughs> so I think it wasn't like a high enough dose, I feel. But what they did find is that the women who did um, yeah. the acupuncture had significant um, improvements in terms of quality of life and their anxiety levels were significantly reduced to the women who just did the usual care. Um, and that was, that they did a sham group as well in this study. And the sham group also experienced a reduction in um, anxiety, um, but not as strong as the control group. And the control group um, had a significant, like so mm. statistical significant um, reduction in anxiety and stress. So I think that's one big thing that acupuncture can offer in that two-week wait. We also, from a Chinese medicine point of view, we put in points which we try and we do this point, kidney nine, and it's known as like the anti-miscarriage point because it seems to, from a Chinese medicine point of perspective, we think it stops kind of um, spasm in the or cramping in the uterus. So we use that in the first trimester and we also use it in the two-week wait. Um, we do some points at the top of the head that work on the conception vessel, which is an extra. I talked about how we've got 12 main meridians and then it's like an extra one that runs right down the middle of the body, down the centre, and it's called the conception vessel. And it runs through the uterus um, and also runs yeah, right straight through sort of the heart right up to the very top of the head. And so we do some points right at the top of the head. Mm. Um, and the idea is, is that we're trying to kind of pull the energy up and so we know it runs through the uterus we know it runs through the cervix so we're trying to kind of pull the energy up um, around the uterus and the cervix to keep it high and keep the cervix closed Um, so that's the idea around those points Um, and it's also very calming those points on top of the head that we use um, have have like an effect on the hypothalamic pituitary axis Um, so they have a really kind of regulating effect on hormones but also stress so yeah they're wonderful so yeah there's lots we can do and I think that two-week wait people really really appreciate just having a little bit of reprieve from feeling anxious Mm. and stressed and just worried and has it worked I don't know if it's worked and yeah yeah so um yeah I feel like you know acupuncture has I feel like we can really help people physiologically Mm. in that two-week wait yeah trying to do some points that really support implantation and support um pregnancy but we uh yeah can also do a lot to help people stay a little bit sane yeah and calm cool calm and collect to keep it civilized as much as you can absolutely yeah Yeah. (laughs) i've just remembered something now, years ago, back home in London, there used to be this little acupuncture and reflexology place where I used to live. And I decided to check it out one day, not for any particular reason, um, but we'll just yeah, call it for yeah. giving it well-being. a go. Yeah, give it a nudge. Um, and I used to ride a Vespa. And I remember as she treated me, she said yeah, that riding yeah. my scooter yeah, wasn't yeah. good. Yeah. And, um, because it was too cold. And then she said that my uterus was cold. The old cold uterus, right? hey? Tell me about it. <laughs> Happens to some of us, yes. And I remember just looking at her um, and not saying much. And she said, if I wanted to get pregnant, I needed to keep my legs and my tummy warm. And I just remember thinking, just looking at her and thinking, Madam, I assure you I'm a warm person. Um, 
So can you just explain to me what she actually meant by mm, that? Yeah. So, I mean, often when, you know how I was talking before about how um, like we'd work on like painful periods and things, like one cause can be like cold uterus and that can cause a bit of blood stagnation. So when co- things are cold, they congeal like, um, and it can mean that there's not as good circulation in the area. So, and also if, if it's if it's cold, that's not ideal environment. Like it needs, we want it to be fairly mm. warm, like the uterus for implantation to occur. So often, like we'll, when we'll see people for the first time, we have a little feel of the abdomen, and if we can just feel underneath their belly button, and often they'll say things like, oh, "I always get a really cold bum," um, you know, and like mm. below the waist, they kind of feel the cold a bit more. Um, then that's sort mm. of a sign that that area might be a bit cold, and we'll feel the pulse, and there's a different, there's a, a certain pulse too where we can feel that that area is a little bit constricted, and if their tongue is a little bit, can be a little bit blue and a little bit of a blue hue Mm. then that also indicates cold so we're looking for all these different things and we'll also ask some questions like um you know about that about that area how it feels to them so um cold uterus is we want to try and encourage better blood flow there um, and warm it up and usually that's herbs um and we'll also suggest that during their period actually chinese medicine in general they have recommendations for women during their period to be really careful um, in terms of not getting that area cold. And I, I guess, you know, back in the day, people would have been working out in the elements a lot. So this would have been important advice for women. But these days, you know, even just, you know, riding on your scooter or, uh, you know, wearing a midriff top or um, mm. swimming is another one. So I am a massive ocean swimmer, but I take a break um, at the start of my cycle yeah. because I know it's not great for me. Because uh, at that time, mm-hmm. the uterus is very, um, in a China, from a Chinese medicine perspective, it's a very everything's very open, um, and so it's very mm. vulnerable to the invasion of cold, all the elements. So you want to be a bit protective of it. So um, generally, in Chinese medicine, mm, they say don't swim during a period um, because you, mm. it's too you know, unless it's really heated pool and, you you know, you, it's super yeah. hot, you know, like it's 45 degrees and it might be okay. But mm. um, in general, mm. they say, you know, avoid getting cold in that area and, you know, use a heat pack mm. and um, all of these things. So, yeah, so it's one um, one of the, I mean, there's many different patterns of um, kind of disharmony, I guess, in the uterus, but that would be one of them that we'd be addressing in fertility if we, if we felt that it showed up. Um, yeah, so, yeah, keeping re- keeping it really warm and we might suggest for those women to, yeah, maybe also not have too many hot, cold drinks or cold foods or salads yeah. and, like, dietary to not put too much cold coldness in their system because we want to try and kind of heat it up a little bit. Um, mm. uh, yeah, so, yeah, does that answer your question? <laughs> there you go. So there is something in keeping your abdomen warm after you've gone for a transfer. Mm, yep. And also your feet, we, you often get, the acupuncturists will often tell you to keep your feet and your ankles warm Yeah, because the meridian that um, kind of governs the uterus goes down to the feet. So we want to keep that nice and warm because even if we get the meridian, parts of the meridian cold, that's going to then transfer that up. So, yeah, so it's not just your abdomen but your feet. Mm. <laughs> get your feet warm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, that's right. Keep your keep your feet nice and warm. Mm. Is another another recommendation, which is very Chinese medicine-y. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We've just spoken about the female patients preparing themselves for IVF, but what about the other half, the male side of it? Do you see um, your patients' other half if they are going through IVF? Ideally, yes. Yeah, and actually, it's funny. It doesn't. To be honest, we don't see men come in as much as we often they're 50% of what's going on um they're less inclined to come in for treatment and I think you know historically fertility has often been put in the domain of women yeah um and and their responsibility and I think that still happens Mm. today um and I think men also you know a bit reluctant to have treatment um Mm. for whatever reason but yeah ideally we see both of them and it's great when they come in it's just it's also it feels like for the couple like they're a bit more of a team when they come in together um and often see that things change a bit more quickly when they're both kind of it's like they've both kind of been like right we're both doing this together we're getting this done and um you know uh yeah so yeah it's great if we see both um yeah there's as similarly to how Mm. we can improve women's um 
health and reproductive system we can also work on men's as well so yeah it's great when we can see the men as well and often they really love it like <laughs> I've had it had a couple of couples last year I remember who were coming in together and then they were trying to conceive naturally and actually conceived pretty quickly both both couples and they both come in the same night so we'd see these two couples um and it was really cute and then um they both conceived around about the same time mm. both couples and yeah. then the, uh, even though the woman was then obviously pregnant they continued to come in <laughs> for, for months after and because the guy was, was just like oh, i just find it so relaxing and you know you know we'd be working yeah. on their sore arm or you know this and the that and they're just like my, i'm sleeping better i've got more energy yeah. and you know they, they had they found these other kind of benefits mm. from the acupuncture as well and they're like well my you know my wife and my partner's coming in yeah. so i'll come in as well and so we continued to see them during their partner's pregnancy which was also really nice as well like um yeah it was really yeah. lovely so it is great when when they come in together but it doesn't happen as often as i think as it as it should <laughs> <laughs> I get it. I get it. Uh, acupuncture can be um, pretty addictive, more so it's having that time alone, to be honest. Okay, if someone listening wants to discuss acupuncture with you further or they'd mm. like to book in some sessions, yeah. how can they find you? Yeah, sure. So um, I work at the Acupuncture Pregnancy Clinic. Um, we've got five clinics. Um, I'm at the Alexandria Clinic. Um, we have got three in Sydney, one in Melbourne and one on the Central Coast as well um if they want to get in touch with me um they're welcome to email our clinic which is just alexandria at acupuncturepregnancy.com.au um but our website's wonderful so have a look on that um i've also got another little practice in randwick called amy fourth acupuncture <laughs> so that's another way they can get in mm -hmm. contact uh yeah i think yeah that's it but you can look us up on we're on facebook instagram all of the things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Super. That's great. I'll put all your contact details in the show notes so people can reach you. Wonderful. So excellent. Yeah. Amy, thank you so much for taking awesome. the time out to speak with me. And it's always a pleasure to touch base with you. Um, great. Thank you so much for having me. It's been wonderful. It's been great chatting with you. And it's been great chatting to you. And, you know, I just love what you're doing on Instagram where you're doing live sessions so people can see how acupuncture is actually administered. <laughs> And, what a, and thank you so much for making these podcasts. They're just wonderful, like so great for people to have access to like all this different information about fertility because I know it's um, it can be really tricky finding good information. So thank you for providing that. Absolutely. Oh, thank you. Lovely. So thank you so much again for your time. Enjoy the rest of your day and I will speak to you soon. Okay, great. Thanks so much. That's wonderful. Cheers. Take care. Okay. Thank you.